0: You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. In the wake of the sensational trial and execution of Madame de Brinvilliers, Paris was scandalized by the discovery of an occult underground, believed to be responsible for a number of poisonings of people, great and small alike. In part one of this multi-part episode, I detailed the first few arrests made in the latter part of the 1670s, those associated with Madeleine Delagrange, with Louis de Venens, and with Marie vigaro and Marie Basset. With the discovery of another woman's name, the arrests were soon to cross into some of the highest in the land. This is episode 47, and this is the second part of the Affair of the Poisons. When Marie Vigoreau and Marie Basset were arrested in December 1678, nail clippings and vials of blood were found in the homes of the two women. Anyone at all familiar with magic will recognize these as components for magic spells, indicating that the women's interest in the occult went far beyond palmistry and supposed divination. Vigoreau had already claimed that she was visited by Antoine de Pas, the Marquis de Foucaire cousin to the Duke of Luxembourg. She claimed that he sought a charm or artifact, which would keep him from physical harm in his service with the army. Basset gave to the chief of Paris police, Gabrielle Nicolas de la Reynie, the name of another fortune teller and a cultist with whom she had contact, a woman she called La Voisin, not much is known of the woman known before her marriage as Catherine Dechays, save that she was born sometime around 1636, making her about 42 years of age at the time she became embroiled in the affair of the poisons. She had married a jeweler by the name of Antoine Monvoisin at some point. He had a shop located on the Pont-Marie, but it was not doing very well, and Catherine Monvoisin began to devote herself to cultivating the powers that God had given her. She was reputedly quite adept in astrology, palmistry, also known as chiromancy, and physiognomy, the now discredited science of predicting one's personality traits based on physical attributes. She set up a shop in the Rue Beauregard in the Villanois area of the city, where she practiced her art for the glory of God, as she put it. She seems to have thought of herself as a practitioner of theurgy, a so-called Christian magician. In addition to her occult beliefs, she also offered her services as a midwife. She also claimed that in the 1660s, her abilities were examined by scholars at the Sorbonne as a result of a illegal action. La Voisine's abilities were highly in demand, and with a flair of the dramatic, she met potential clients in a pavilion in her garden clad in a fancy red robe. So in demand were her abilities that, it was said, before she got up every morning, there were people waiting to see her, and throughout the rest of the day, she was with more people. After that, she kept open house in the evening, with violins playing, and was always making merry. Lavoisine had as much money as she wanted, said Basse. But she used her work as a midwife to mask her working as an abortionist, Basse said. She claimed that any number of dead infants could be found buried in Voisin's garden. This however, seemed to be untrue. A nobleman, the Marquis de la Rivere, said that La Voisine was full of delicious little secrets for the ladies, for which the gentlemen could be grateful. She could make a lady's bosom more bountiful, or her mouth more diminutive, and she knew just what to do for a nice girl who had gotten herself into trouble. On March 12, 1679, Catherine Monvoisin was arrested as she left the church of Notre-Dame de Bonne Nouvelle on the way to visit Catherine Trianon, also referred to as La Trianon, who will later be arrested. Primi Viscani, a commentator on the court of Louis XIV and goings-on in France at the time, said that she was an alcoholic, and in fact was drunk at the time of her questioning on March 17th. Primi Viscani is a nickname given by the court to a visiting Italian nobleman Giovanni Battista Feliciano Fasola di Rasa, Count of San Maolo. In La Voisin's home were found, according to De La Reynie, vials, vats, jugs, jars, and packets, the crystals, potions, and potpourries, as well as containers of deadly nightshade, witch's thimble, root mandragore, powder of cantharus, of toad and bat and viper, blobs of hangman's fat nail clippings, bone splinters, specimens of human blood, excrement, urine, and semen. Also, he discovered grimoires or black books, sacerdotal vestments and paraphernalia, a cross, incense, black tapers, a mysterious oven in a garden pavilion, redolent of evil noxious fumes, fragments of a human infant's bones in the ashes. In short, he painted her as an almost stereotypical diabolical witch. Lavoisine said that many people urged her to kill her neglectful husband, but that she always declined. But still, there was no debating the fact that there was no love lost between Lavoisine and her husband. It was said that a customary greeting upon arrival at her residence was to ask her whether her husband was dead yet. She had many affairs, though, with fellow occultists Lesage, Latour, and Blessus, a tavern keeper named Heralt, and even a nobleman the vicomte de Couserans, as well as, well as André Guillaume, the executioner who had beheaded Madame de Brinvilliers three years previously. Lavoisine often sent clients of hers along to Marie Basset, who paid her a commission. As she told De La Rénie, Some women asked if they would not soon become widows, because they wished to marry someone else. Almost all asked this, and came for no other reason. When those who come to have their hands read ask for anything else, they nevertheless always come to the point in time, and ask to be rid of someone, and when I gave those who came to me for that purpose my usual answer, that those who they wished to be rid of would die when it pleased God, they told me that I was not very clever. These were the clients usually sent to Basse. Lavoisine denied any wrongdoing in these instances, and threw it all on her fellow occultist. It soon became apparent that Voisine believed she had been short-changed a commission for one of these clients back in 1673. A Madame Brunet had come to see her complaining of her husband, and as, as was her custom, Voisine sent her to see Marie Basset, who, it was claimed, poisoned her husband's shirt. The making of poisoned shirts seems to have been a common tactic the various players in the affair of the poisons were alleged to have carried out. As a result of the missing commission, there was apparently a great deal of animosity between Basse and Voisine. Throughout the ensuing investigations, De La Reynie often played the two off each other. Whenever one made an allegation, the other would make a further allegation, and so on, and so on. Voisine recounted one instance when she was visited by a Madame Ferry, whose husband had died and who sought a palm reading. As Voisine worked, she asked Ferry whether she had done something unfortunate on Basset's advice. Fairy replied that no, she hadn't. She kept asking Lavoisine, however, if there were any signs she would be embroiled in legal proceedings in the near future. Basset responded with several accusations, saying that despite Lavoisine's contentions to the contrary, she had met often with, with Madame Brunet. In fact, on one occasion, she had offered her a packet of what she claimed was powdered diamond, This, she said, would surely shred her husband's insides if added to his food. Brunet declined to take the powder, however. This is actually not a terribly efficient method of poisoning, despite initial appearances. As noted by Dr. D.P. Lyle in his book Murder and Mayhem, the glass would have to be very finely ground, or the victim would notice it as he ate. As we chew, we sense even tiny pieces of gravel, sand, glass, gristle, and so forth. Salt dissolves, but glass doesn't, so the food would seem gritty unless the glass was ground into a powder, but very fine glass is unlikely to cause any lethal damage to the GI tract. It would be more of an irritation, with minor bleeding if at all. If you could get the victim to eat coarser glass, such as crushed instead of ground, the glass shards would damage the stomach and intestine and could cause bleeding. But a person would know something was wrong with the food and if not, he would go to a doctor about the bleeding. Even with coarser glass, the bleeding would probably not be massive or life-threatening, but slow and lead to anemia and fatigue. Granted, this was diamond and not glass, but still. She also claimed that a lady of rank, whose name she declined to give, paid Lavoisine 6,000 livres to apply poison to a bouquet of flowers, which she was to send to another unnamed lady and also that at least one other woman had paid Lavoisine to kill her husband as well. The Lady of Rank was later determined to be Françoise de Droux, a cousin to several judges and who likewise had several relatives in the court at Versailles. She was likewise married to a parliamentarian and was mistress of the Duke of Richelieu. Lavoisine later went on to claim that the Droux had already poisoned two women by this time. Basset also alleged that Lavoisine despite her earlier denials, had indeed attempted to murder her own husband on numerous occasions. On one occasion, she and Lesage had procured a sheep's heart, to which Lesage did something. They buried it in the garden, whereupon Antoine Monvoisin was afflicted with severe stomach pains. Voisin, seized by remorse, ran to a nearby church, begged forgiveness, and took communion. She then went back to her home and urged Lesage to remove the enchantment. Next, she procured some sort of black granular substance from the Chevalier de Hanivel and asked Bossé to put it in her husband's drink, but she was overcome by some sort of scruple, and didn't. La Voisine said that a woman named Marguerite Leferon had given her a set of widow's weeds, or black mourning clothes, saying, Madame Voisin, perhaps this will bring you luck, and if God permits your husband dies, you can use them. This led De La Reynie to, to re-examine the death of Jerome Leferon in 1669. She later said that in a palm reading session, Leferon had almost immediately asked her whether she would soon become a widow. She had asked Lavoisine about various poisons, and they discussed the feasibility of procuring ground, ground diamond from Italy, or some perfume which would kill her husband. Finally, they procured some liquid from Madeleine de Lagrange, delivered to Lavoisines through an intermediary named La Larue. Three weeks later, Leferon's husband had died. For her part, Leferon said Lavoisine was taking advantage of her misfortune to insult her. She also claimed that in 1668, an actress named Marguerite Terese du Parc, mistress of the poet Jean Racine, had died under mysterious circumstances, and it was implied by her that Racine had poisoned her. Racine... Having secretly espoused Duparc, was jealous of everybody and particularly of her, and that he had made away with Duparc by poison on account of his extreme jealousy, that during her illness he never quit at her bedside, that he drew a valuable diamond from her finger, and had also stolen the jewelry and principal effects of Duparc, which were worth a great deal of money. Those who knew Racine, however, such as the aforementioned primi Viscani, scoffed at the idea as... The abominable invention of a ruined woman. Lavoisine's associate Lesage was arrested on March 17th. He disclosed that there was an oven in her house where bones were buried where bones were burned if the infant body seemed too large to lay away in the garden grave, backing up one of the statements Marie Basse had made. Lavoisine, on the other hand, said that the oven was used only for baking. Lesage's real name was was Adam de Coueray. Born in Normandy, he was nearly 50 years old, and habitually dressed in gray, and wore a bright red wig. In 1667, Lavoisin introduced Duboisin, as he was known then, to an Abbé Mariette. The three ran a lucrative business of some sort, but soon the two men decided they could make more money by simply cutting Lavoisin out of their deals. By 1668, though, Lesage and Mariette stood trial, charged with Committing impieties. Exactly what impieties is never really specified, although Lesage was asked if he said prayers over the bodies of flayed frogs, and when Mariette said he often read from the scripture over the heads of clients, it was assumed he was reading scripture backwards, as it was supposed that's what Satanists did. One of their clients, it transpired, was Madame de Monispan, favorite of the king's mistresses. In the end, Lesage was sentenced to the galleys being banished to a life of hard labor on the Mediterranean ships, essentially. But Mariette, being related to one of the court officials, was only banished from France for nine years. In 1673, the minister of the marine pardoned several criminals from the galleys, and it is assumed Lesage was one of these, as around that time, he reappeared in Paris, again doing business with Lavoisin, though now under the name Lesage. Lavoisin reckoned him a very great magician, on March 23rd, Basset admitted to having procured some sort of mysterious liquid for Madame Brunet from Madeleine Delagrange. She would later confess under torture that she herself poisoned him. And with the revelation that Catherine Leroy was an acquaintance of Lavoisine, all the arrests so far could be seen to be connected in a sprawling network of murder and deceit. As a result of this, on April 10, 1679, King Louis ordered the creation of the Chambre Ardent, or Burning Chamber, also sometimes called the Chamber of the Arsenal. It was named for a court established under Francis I, and continued by Henry II, which conducted witch trials. Gabriel Nicholas de Reynie, and an associate of his named Louis Bazan, who also seems to have had a reputation for being less than honest, as he was called the Judas of the Assembly by Primi Visconti. Conducted most of the investigations, and then the cases were heard before ten judges, one of whom, coincidentally, was the cousin of Francois de Dreux. Several other cultists were apprehended at the end of that month. A La Jacob, A La Hébert, who had supposedly sold poisons to Lavoisine, A La Delaurier, who had told Anne Charon she knew the secret of La Brinvilliers, and Lavoisine's paramour Latour, a former stonemason, who had often claimed to work magic on the behalf of their clients. Two other associates, named Anne Charon and Francois Belot, were also arrested. Soon after, one named Catherine Trionon was arrested. She was a 52-year-old widow who occasionally drew up horoscopes for Lavoisin's clientele. She was perhaps unfairly called by Montague Summers a wanton hermaphrodite, exotic and perverse. Drugs and suspicious powders were found in La Trianon's house. Also white arsenic, rialgar, some sort of ointment, powdered glass, and cantharides. A La Pelletier, who was well versed in the property of various herbs and who had at one point given La Boisine a love potion, was also arrested. Marie Brissart, described in a bit, was referred to her. On May 8, 1679 then, Marie Basset was burned at the stake in the Place de Grave, Marie Vigoreaux, as stated, died under torture the next day, not revealing really anything of note. The next day after that, Madame Ferry, who Lavoisin suspected had poisoned her husband, was hung. Primi Visconti believes that the King discouraged investigation of the abortion angle in the cases. This is somewhat supported, as few of the defendants volunteered specific names of women to whom they provided abortions, and in general, the investigators didn't press them for the names either. Only two women executed in the affair were specifically charged as abortionists. Lavossine told De La Reynie that Marie Brissart, the widow of a parliamentarian, wished for the death of her sister. Though her sister had indeed died, under questioning, Brissart said she had died of smallpox rather than poisoning. But Voisine also described other magical rituals performed for the benefit of Madame Brissart. She desired a man named Louis Denis de Rubentel, the Marquis de Mondator, but though she lavishly spent money on him, even buying all of his equipment for him, he rebuffed her advances. She went to La to seek a remedy for this, whereupon she and Lesage began a series of inca- incantations. Lesage walked throughout the garden, tapping the ground with his staff, and repeatedly chanting, Per diem sanctum, per diem vivum. After this, he said, "Louis Dennis de Rubentel, I conjure thee in the name of the Almighty to go find Marie Maroon. She to possess the she to possess thee, holy body, soul, and spirit, and thou to love nobody but her. Marie Maroon being the maiden name of the widow Bersart She wrote the names of the widow and her prospective paramour on a piece of paper, balled it up, and threw it into the fire, where it burst with a loud pop. This ritual still did not work and Lavoisin a few days later went to Broussard and said, You write every day and send your maid to Rubentel, but he pays no attention to you. It is mad conduct to write and send every day. So Broussard stopped trying to get Rubentel, whereupon he came to her, without anything else having been done. Yet the lady, believing that Lavoisin had done some extraordinary thing, gave her twelve pistoles. She also claims she had been visited by a Madame Vertemart, and a Madame Rousset, both of whom had wicked designs on their husbands. Rousset was arrested in July 1679. A Madame de saint martin had also gone to her to have her husband poisoned, but both saint martin and her husband had been dead for years, so this story couldn't be confirmed. Lavoisine also told De La that she had been visited by a a Marquise de Canillac in the company of her lover, a man named de Broglio. K'nilak sought a potion to make to cause her husband to drink less, for he was worse than a pig and brute beast when drunk. But when the potion given to her by Lavoisin didn't work, they changed tack and sought to poison the husband instead. Lavoisin claimed that on this, Catherine Lapierre had given her some sort of water that would, would put the husband to sleep forever. But upon De La Rainey looking into the matter further, he found both Madame de Kyneloc and de Broglio had left the country and could not be traced. It, it had become apparent to the investigators and judges of the Chambre Ardente that astrologers and occultists picked up during the wave of arrests were a remarkably paranoid bunch. Any illness, digestive issues, or nearly any other unpleasantness was almost always thought to be a result of a poisoning attempt. Both Anne Charon and Francois Boulot, fell ill while they were drinking at the home of a fortune teller named La Montigny. They took something called Orvitan to neutralize the effects of a supposed poison. La Montigny was apparently another arrested, since it was said that while she was at Anne Sharon's house one day, her face swelled after she wiped her face with the handkerchief left there by Marie Basset. This poison was neutralized after she drank some urine and vomited. On June 5, 1679, Marguerite de Poulaylon was put on trial. She had been one of the first implicated in the affair and had actually been jailed by her husband before the arrests of either Vigaro or Basset. She had attempted to poison her husband in favor of her lover, a man named Riviere. Her husband had sent her to a convent in 1678 and reported her to the Chambre later. Initially, the Chambre decided on a sentence of torture and beheading. However, on more careful consideration, they decided to take leniency on Poulaylon, deciding it might set a precedent for the sentence to be handed down in the, face, in the case of François de Droux, Marguerite Leferon, and any other aristocrats named. This led to a general feeling that the sentences given to noblemen and noblewomen arrested in the affair were generally lesser than those handed down in the case of lower-class lower class prisoners, even when the circumstances of their supposed crimes were identical. In the end, Poulaylon was, was sentenced to life imprisonment. Five days later, Madame Philbert, the former Madame Brunet, now married to, now remarried to a musician in the court at Versailles, was executed. Also executed at the same time was Francois Belleau, who in addition to an associate of Lavoisine, had attempted to poison Alexander de Poulaylon on behalf of his wife. A week later, Anne Sharon was executed after she claimed under torture that she had attempted making poison from the juices of dead toes. Then, on August 11th, the midwife Catherine Lapierre was was executed for complicity with Lavoisine in the providing of abortions. According to the court, she had abused her skill as a sworn midwife and had Brought to bed before their term several girls and women, causing the deaths of the children they were carrying. Also in August, the court heard testimony from a Madame de Moretz, who said that she had been impregnated some time before by her lover, a man named Gontier. She had gone to see La Vossine, who who had told her that Lesage would make sure they were married. He came to her home and chanted, Per diem feeble, per diem verum, per diem sanctum and tapped the bed with a wand. This, he said, would cause Gontier's love for her to strengthen. But not married yet, she went back to Lavasin, and this time, Lesage asked her to pr- procure a pot of Gontir's urine. Then he waved his wand about as he called on Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Astaroth to aid the woman. He told her that if she put the pot of urine in her cellar, then Gontir would not rest until they married. Indeed, when she was questioned, she was married to Gontier, who was no doubt horrified to learn just how his wife had secured the marriage. On September 16th, Marquis de Louvois wrote to King Louis that La Voisine is really beginning to talk. She had named Antoinette Louise de Mesmé, Duchess de Vivonne, as a former client. The Duchess was sister-in-law to Madame de Manespan, favored mistress of the king, and as noted earlier, client of Abbe Mariette years before. She also implied that Lesage knew some things that would be damaging to the duchess. However, in hindsight, the validity of most of Lavoisine's claims can be called into question. She and Lesage were engaged, were engaged in a game of one-upmanship. One would make a charge against the other, whereupon the other would respond with a new charge in turn, and on and on. Although the two had worked closely, and indeed had an affair in the past, It seemed there was no love lost between them. Lesage called Voisine a wicked woman God will punish and accused her of several murders. Meanwhile, she called him no friend of hers. She claimed the Marquis de Fouquier and the Duke of Luxembourg had visited him wanting to speak to the devil. The Duke of Luxembourg actually was held in the Bastille for a time in 1680, but emerged after a few months. He called Lesage the true author of this whole web of perfidy and iniquity. Lesage began to imply that in 1675, Lavoisin had often visited the royal palace at Saint-Germain for some reason. He also swore there was some link between her and Madame La Lavoisin helped a woman named Cato secure a job in Monespon's employ. Madame Vertemart wanted Lavoisin to secure her a job there as well, and Claude de vins OLA, a maid of Manaspans and another of the king's mistresses, was also a client of Lavoisin's. So what should we make of the claims of Lavoisin? While Franz Funk Brentano says, the examinations to which Lavoisine was subjected were very numerous, they brought to light innumerable details on a multitude of crimes, implicating a very large number of people. There were very many confrontations, The declarations of the terrible sorceress were submitted to careful investigation by examining magistrates like Nicholas de Lorraine. All her declarations were found to be accurate. Author Anne Somerset, whose work was most invaluable to this series, takes a more cynical and, dare I say, realistic view. She may have wanted to delay her trial and realize that her captors would not institute proceedings against her, while they believed they could learn important things from her. If such was their intent, they did not work indefinitely. On February 17th, 1680, Lavoisine was put on trial, and quickly found guilty of murder and witchcraft. Unlike most prisoners, she was not tortured. She was burned at the stake in the Place de Grave on February 22nd. Those implicated in the affair of the poisons had already begun to move from commoners and minor nobility to the king's courtiers. and the testimonies of Lesage and of, Ma- of Marguerite Monvoisin, Voisin's own daughter, would move the affair toward its conclusion. And that's the end of this episode. As always, a list of sources consulted for the episode can be found in the show description. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page. Post it to the Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, and you can DM me ideas there. I also now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash that's F-O-R-G, D-A-R-K, and I recently decided that what I'm going to do for Patreons, which I hadn't decided yet, was is going to be, I'm going to do like a bunch of little mini-episodes, and kind of um, give little biographies of different um, old researchers and old authors and stuff whose work I use a lot, and things like that. Like, for example, like Montague Summers, I've been citing him a heck of a lot recently, and I'm, you know, I'll do like a little kind of biography on who he was and everything like that so until next time this is andrew signing off shows like this one at straightupstrange.com